This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. No, we have to talk about this. It's totally natural for you to be curious about sex. This is a longer segment that we're going to be working on today, and it's Lynn and Jen with Let's Talk About Sex. And we're actually going to be focusing on a recent trip that I uh, had, uh, in fact, just got back from Japan, and uh, dealing with some of the cultural and gender issues in Japan that we saw and or that I saw and experienced there. And partly this trip was to look at, you know, how women are treated and some of the comparative issues between Western culture and Japanese culture. And you reminded me just a few minutes ago, Jen, that uh, women really in Japan, you know, it, it is a first world culture, but it has a separate pattern. And it's really a, a place where we can look at comparative difference and comparisons and differences. And it was really fascinating in terms of all the issues related to men and women. Yeah, I'm really excited to discuss it with you. I mean, I know before you left for your trip, we were already talking about some of these ideas. But for you to talk about what you actually saw, I think is going to be really exciting. One of the big things that I was thinking about as you were leaving for the trip was definitely that Japan for so long was isolated. And I think that allowed it to form its own kind of culture separate from a lot of the outside influences. And I think a lot of the history with Japan has to do with a very collectivist kind of culture, which is where you're your identity is very tied in with that of those around you and how you reflect in them and how they reflect in you. And we were just talking about this and how feminism started out that way. But it really took a shift towards more of an individualistic kind of pushing yourself forward. It was about pushing women forward, but it was very much about you kind of asserting yourself. And I think we're seeing a shift slowly back towards this idea of it really being about all women and all men and pushing that idea of equality. Um, it brings up for me, what is her name? I think Amber Tamblin, she wrote this article or an opinion on her experience. And she ended it with talking about how for so long she thought that you know, she couldn't use her voice. And what she's seeing is now when women use our voices, it becomes a choir. And that's what we're seeing with not just one woman, all women, all of these movements in different areas. Right. Well, from my perspective, and I have to say I'm one person, a, a Western person, you know, part French Canadian culture and part Native American. And I think your interest in this is important too, because your grandparents uh, were from Taiwan and your mother also and grew up in a part Japanese environment there. So you've had some exposure to at least the Japanese contribution 
to Taiwan, which is a separate area, but gives you knowledge really in this whole area. And just to just to clarify that for some people who don't know, Taiwan used to be occupied by Japan, which is what you're talking about. Exactly. And then from my visits there and meeting your family, we've heard a lot about that. Yeah. But um, I spent time in the last two weeks, I spent time in Kyoto, which is the old capital in Japan, Tokyo, which everyone knows, and then up in the Japanese Alps in a a rural setting. And I lived for most of that time in ryokan settings, which are uh, small Japanese inns or homes where, um, and this right away brought up a lot of gender issues because you're, uh, if you're a woman, you're in this setting, you're sitting on the floor, you're sitting on your legs and... uh, You're kneeling. You're kneeling, really. And men are, they do do it differently. They're really not able to do that. But they're on the floor too, and they're sitting a different way. But after these two weeks, I experienced a lot of ligament pain just yeah. in my feet. And uh, also women wear confining kimonos, and they have limitations on walking. So the physical limitations with aspects of the older cultural Japanese life are right away apparent. So, you know, I come back and I've got to get foot massage and, you know, right away I'm struggling with this and thinking, how did this happen? And the interesting thing, Jen, was I wasn't even aware that my feet were suffering because of this. So, you know, while I was there, this is happening slowly. It's a chronic repetitive injury. And even as a doc, I didn't see what was going on. Yeah. So that says something about women in the culture who are exposed to that really on a daily basis. Yeah. And then you may not see it. I I had the good fortune to talk with and become friendly with some very wonderful women there. And many of them asked me questions about the gender issues in the U.S. Many women who had careers were having difficulty balancing family, career, and all the parts of women's lives. And they really didn't know how they were going to do it. And one thing that's a little bit different about uh, the Japanese woman's life is there's been a heavy focus culturally on beauty, preserving beauty, making beauty. So the kimonos, the flowers, the tea ceremonies, a lot of that is ritualized and creative beauty that women contribute a large part to. And that adds an additional burden. The women are struggling to maintain that at the same time that they do all of these other parts that women are doing in the Western world. Well, I think it's such a universal experience for so many women. What do you think that ritualization of these, I don't even know what to call them, these traditions, I guess. What do you think the the ritualizations of these traditions are about? Well, I think the rituals provide security and the fact that women maintain the rituals. Women contribute a lot to maintaining the culture. And many of them are uh, amazing. I mean, uh, some of the women that, uh, you know, I became friends with were involved in doing calligraphy every day and painting every day writing poems. <laughs> These are wonderful things. And then beautifully kind of caring for themselves with the level of cleanliness we really don't see in the West. And uh, personal appearance, you know, not so much for male objectification, but for a view of themselves, you know, as women. 
So there's all of these aspects of the culture that have developed, I think, uh, as Japanese cultures develop, really. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think there's a huge aspect with the security. I also wonder, too, about, you know, because the the roles, particularly in Japan, are so rigid and they're upheld by this collectivist kind of pressure. I wonder about if some of the ritualization has to do with being able to have a creative outlet, but even then it's not super free-flowing. It still has to be sort of within a container. I, I couldn't uh, agree more. Uh, there's a wonderful film that I think our viewer or listeners might really be interested in, and it's called The Old Capital. It's based on the Nobel Prize winner Kawabata's short story, and it's about women's issues, really, and the star of this film is a a mother, and she has a daughter, and then she has a twin sister who also has a daughter. It's really mirroring mother-daughter issues with creativity, because both daughters, one is a dancer and the other is an artist. It's really about how do they, they take the artistic aspects of their mother, it's part of the culture, and then bring it into the the Western and future world. It's fascinating uh, because I think that's something that women in Japan are struggling with. How do they take this cultural contribution, you know, search for beauty and other things, and move it into, you know, the next generation? And uh, it is a struggle for individualism because women are moving more toward the Western model of this individual, and they're leaving this collective comfort. And it's a loss for them, you know, leaving that aspect of it. And I think that's so important to bring up because it is a loss, and it's something that I I can definitely see how it would happen in the Japanese culture. But certainly I see that with a lot of my clients with the different generations and trying to uphold traditions and beliefs while also trying to carve out your own identity as sort of a modern person. And I think it's it's really interesting because for me, it's really about more of a balance. And right now, those are still two very extremes. One is the collectivist, one is the individualistic. But I really think we need to figure out more of an interdependent culture where you can have somewhat of an independent identity, but you also are connected because there's so much about collectivist culture and the support that you can have that maybe you don't have in the individualistic culture. I think that's a great strength that women have. We have worked collectively for a long time, and we could support the individual creative aspects of other women. And it's so important to do that, I think, because um, that makes us all stronger. You know, we're coming from a background, but together we can really see things. And uh, I think men have worked collectively in war efforts, business efforts, other things, but women work in childcare. They work in creative beauty in Japan. But so, and they work emotionally. So right. we've got a lot of areas where we can support each other and really grow in strength. So I think that's the challenge of the next 30, 40 years for women is really how to do that. But Japan is right in the middle of the struggles with the different generations. And I think a lot of mothers are wondering how can they support their children really, at this time. 
Well, I think it's hard too because when you aren't having these conversations, then you don't necessarily understand the struggles someone has gone through before you, and so you're almost having to learn it on your own or through other sources. And I think it's so powerful to be able to have conversations between a mother and daughter, and be able to hear how did you deal with this struggle, what were the struggles that were going on, and how have we made progress, and how have we not? And that actually brings up something interesting that I had no idea about. You were telling me about how in Japan, I guess there's this movement around, like I am not a feminist. Can you talk more about that? Um, yes, it's a fairly current. Of course, there are feminists in Japan, and you know, I was going to mention、uh, Akiko Yasano. We're going to do a women woman pioneer point on her on one of our new formats. Talk about women as pioneers. She's poet, and、uh, she was very active, kind of pushing forward feminism and really changing poetry in Japan. But there's a, a number of performance artists now, young women in Japan. Who are focused on drawing attention to these gender issues and are coming forward under the rubric of "I am not a feminist," and I think that's a very important group to look at. I think the fact they have to discount part of what they're doing is important because it lowers defensivism, you know, from、right. men in the group and and the culture. So obviously, they're up against something that's going to resist it. But I thought that、uh, that's、uh, an interesting way to approach it, and it really points to some of the underlying struggles that are going on for women in Japan. Well, I think it's it's so interesting because it is something that makes sense in a in a culture where there's so much of that collective pressure. Because not only are you representing yourself, but you're also representing your family, your family members, and so it's interesting. Because by saying I'm not a feminist, but pushing forward feminist ideals, you sort of get past those labels. And I think it it speaks so much to how important labels are. Because even here in the U U S, you know, the idea of what a feminist is has been become so botched that. It really becomes someone who isn't behaving in feminist ways and is attacking men, and you know all of that. And so, just using that word or calling yourself that word has has shifted, and it it's gone away from its original message. And so, it's interesting because we still have to find ways to get through this message. But it's so fascinating that just this word. Can turn people off. So now there's this whole. Well, I'm not a feminist, but I'm going to behave like one. I'm going to ask you to treat me like one. You know, it's it's very interesting. Well, it, it pushes past that kind of defensiveness. But you were bringing up earlier the question of how important conversations are. One of the things I do see is that women and mothers and daughters are not able to have the type of conversations that they really need to. Around sexuality and gender changes, so it's really been very limited, and those conversations have to be supported and take place.、And、it's just what you're saying. Younger women feel like they're betraying their past, their culture, to even put forward some of the ideas. And I think mothers and women in my generation are unclear. Really about how to engage in that conversation and inspire and and really ignite this process. Well, I think another thing I see too is there are a lot of mothers that want to support their daughters, but in supporting their daughters, they sometimes feel like they're betraying their generation because 
of this movement. And so that's been really interesting to work with some mothers with is how can, you know, maybe the mother does believe in these feminist ideals, but she lives in such a world where all her friends are not supportive of that. So then are you going to lose your own community in order to support your daughter? These are some very hard questions to wrestle with. And fears. You've lived maybe in a more traditional way. And how do you support your daughter to really take on a different role? Right. And that's why I'd encourage people to seek out this film, The Old Capital, because it really shows different models for that. There's different mother-daughter combos, but all of them are occupied with this question, is really how do you inspire this? What are you giving up? You know, and it is this culture, you know, aspects of this culture that have been key really to women's identities. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And we'll make sure that we link to that so people can take a look at it. Yeah. Well, maybe to close, uh, you know, I do uh, really, I was very impressed with the changes that women are making in Japan and really uh, think it's an interesting culture to stay in contact with. I hope to return and uh, reconnect with some of the same women. And it's something we can really talk about in the future. And then we're going to talk about Akiko Yosano as a pioneer. So we'll continue with that, Jennifer. Right. And I think that idea of being able to connect, right, like that you're even staying in touch and that you're thinking about keeping these connections. I think that's so powerful because, again, probably just by you being there, too, you inspired these conversations. And now these women are thinking about these things. Absolutely. And I, I will also maybe close with this. Um, my books were actually translated into other languages. And one of the languages they've been translated into and read extensively, and these are books about sex and right. raising kids and in sexual matters, uh, is Japanese. So I think individuals are really interested in this concept of how to raise kids in this new world and some of these Western ideas, but they still want to hold on to more traditional ones, too. Yeah, and so it's really figuring out that balance and that it, it it's different for everyone. Yeah, yeah, different for us too. Us too. <laughs> thanks, Jen. All right, thanks, Lynn. Come on, let's talk about sex.